The chatter does not stop. The volley and response, the clamoring and bickering, begging me to buy in. That more will achieve where less was bankrupt. Spurts and sprints, then fatigue, telling me who I once was is all I will ever be. Telling me I cannot imagine what can happen through me. Damage and beauty, deconstruction and reconstruction. Telling me the stones I have stacked will crowd me to suffocation. Can I be free of you? Can I rid this house of these ghosts? Another voice, seeming both far and near, both warm and deep in tone, bringing freedom in this prison, saying, I see you, I know you, all is paid, you are mine. You are listening to a sermon from Our Voices series at Doxa Church in Bellevue, Washington. In this series, we're taking some time to listen and learn from the pastors of other churches in the greater Seattle area. To find out more, please visit us at www.doxa-church.com or join us on Sunday mornings in downtown Bellevue at 9 and 11 a.m. Yeah, hello, uh, Doxa Church. It is, it is great to be here. As Jeff said, uh, our church, Bellevue Presbyterian, your church, we're in partnership together around Saturate the Sound and some other things, the service day and all of that. And uh, Jeff's been a great friend, and this church has been a huge resource to us. Uh, we are learning a lot from you about how to do discipleship better at our church. We're borrowing some of your curriculum. So it's just great to be here, and I love that you're doing this series. And so one of the things I really like about Jeff is that you know we are all on the same team here. It doesn't matter what church we're going to. We're wearing the same jersey. And we're wanting the same things. We want to see the east side uh, become more like Jesus' kingdom. And I love Jeff as a brother in Christ, fellow pastor. It's just great to be here. So uh, thank you for inviting me. And it's fun to be with all of you. Jesus, we know that you are in this room. We know that you are here. And God asked that in these next few minutes, you would help us hear from you, connect with you, leave more focused on you through the power of your word. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. I should warn you, I speak at warp speed, so get ready. Uh, Back in April, I remember reading a news report that said this April was one of the rainiest Aprils on record in the Seattle area, so that was cool. Uh, And and in the middle of all that rain, uh, I took my 16-year-old son to California to look at some potential colleges for him, one of which was Cal Poly in San Luis Obispo. So we went there and we spent a couple hours on the engineering tour. He wants to be an engineer. And they just, they gave us like all kinds of information, this two hour tour. And then we were scheduled to do a campus wide tour, but we were like, like an information overload. So we decided to go to a beach instead that was about 15 minutes away. And it was this beautiful sunny day, you know, we're from rainy Seattle, this beautiful sunny day. As we pulled up to park at the beach, this is what we saw. My son looked out the window and then he turned to me and he said, I like this school. (laughs) I don't think the words on that tour could ever have convinced him nearly as much as that experience at the beach. Because it's one thing to be told that somewhere is a great place to live. It's another to actually experience that. And it made him very happy. Take a look. Like, that is a happy man, right? (laughs) He is experiencing San Luis Obispo. I think following Jesus is similar. 
It's one thing to have a theology about Jesus or to hear sermons about Jesus, but it's another thing entirely to actually experience his presence, that he is real, that he, that he speaks to us. Our God speaks to us. Uh, and that's not just being crazy. Jesus is in this room right now. And to really get that and have an experience of that, it's the difference between going on a two-hour engineering tour filled with lots of words and that picture of my son. Experiencing Jesus' presence, not in our head, not as a theology, but as a real lived experience, heals us. When we experience Jesus' presence, our burdens seem lighter because we have this sense that Jesus is there carrying our burdens with us. Jesus' presence brings hope and strength and encouragement and confidence and boldness. It heals marriages, bodies, families. We are healed when we are in the presence of God. Plus, experiencing Jesus' presence is what empowers us to do the mission that he has called us to do. Right? Like y'all here, my church, Bellevue Presbyterian, we have a very similar vision to, to this church here. Our church's vision is that we would see the complete spiritual, social, relational flourishing of the Puget Sound region. And we want to see lots of people come to know Jesus, marriages mended, families restored. And that will happen as each of us learns how to bring Jesus' good news wherever we live, work, play, or learn. But that can be kind of hard, right? So what's going to motivate us to do that? What's going to give us the power to do that? What gives us the power to do that is when we experience Jesus' love ourselves, we can give it away to others. Right? Like you can't give what you don't have. So the first order of business is we've got to know that Jesus is real. Not just in our head, not just a theology, but experience it. And sometimes God's presence is, is, is a nudge or a still small voice or a feeling. And other times when God shows up, he shows up in power. Like in the text we just read where, where God shows up in a pillar of cloud. A few months ago, there was a, a little boy about six years old in our church who had cancer. And so after one of our worship services, we prayed for this, this little boy. And, and when the boy went back to the doctor, the doctor could not find the cancer. The cancer was gone. And the doctor didn't have an explanation for that. He called it an anomaly, which is medical speak for it's a miracle, but I don't want to say it's the miracle, right? And that happens. Sometimes God shows up in power like that. Other times, it's more subtle. It's a thought, a nudge, a feeling. But our God does speak. He speaks. He is speaking all the time. But there's a problem. Because maybe for a lot of you right now, when you hear about experiencing the presence of God, you're like, yeah, I don't, that doesn't happen for me. I almost never experience God's presence. And if I do, it feels kind of very faint. It doesn't feel very real. Well, the story that was read earlier about Moses, I think, is helpful because it shows us some ways that we can open ourselves up to experiencing God. The background of the story is Moses has just led the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt, and they're on their way to the Promised Land, but they stop off at Mount Sinai to pick up the Ten Commandments from God. But while Moses is up on the mountain getting the Ten Commandments, the people down below, they take all their jewelry, they melt it down, and they make a golden calf, and then they start worshiping it. So Moses had, sees this happen. He comes down off the mountain, sees them worshiping this golden calf that they made. He gets mad, breaks the tablets that had the Ten Commandments, goes back up the mountain and has a long conversation with God. And part of that conversation is he asks to experience God's presence. He says, show me your glory. And the first thing that shows is that to experience God's presence, you have to want it. 
And I know that sounds basic, but I'm not sure we actually want God's presence as much as we say we do. We want the things God can give us, but do we want God's presence? So because of this golden cow catastrophe, the text says that God said to Moses, go up to the land I promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I will send an angel before you, but I will not go with you because you are a stiff-necked people. Now what I want you to notice about this verse right here is that God offers the Israelites what the average American Christian wants from God. God says, I'll give you my blessing. I'll give you what you want. I'll give you the promised land without me, since you seem to prefer golden cows to me. In other words, I'll give you success at school or work or in sports. I'll, I'll, I'll bring you prosperity. I'll, I'll make you popular. I'll give you what you want, but you don't have to deal with all this relationship with God stuff. And this is American consumer Christianity in a nutshell, right? Give me, fix me, heal me, bless me. Please. If we remember, right? That's a lot of our prayers, our list of non-negotiable demands, right? God as a vending machine, not someone that I have an actual relationship with. But in this text, Moses says, no, no, no. If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. Because all of the things we want, without God's presence, they're meaningless. Because they wear out. I mean, the new house is awesome for a while, but then you start to go, you know what? We really need to remodel that kitchen. Right? Or the praise of other people when you've done something well at school or in sports or at the job, right? That praise feels good, right? But, but what, what if the next time you don't get the, the A or you don't land the new account or you don't catch the game-winning ball? Then what? Will people like you then? Will people like me if I don't perform? When someone says to me, good sermon, pastor, I always say, thank you. But what I've discovered is the problem with Sunday is that darn day comes every single week. Right? And then i got to come up with another one and another sermon. And what if I ride a dog? Will you like me then? But God's presence never wears out because it's not based on performance. It's based on God's commitment, his covenant to us, his love for us. So Moses says, the benefits of God without God, that's not worth it. So instead, he says this in the text, show me your glory. In other words, let me experience your presence. And what this shows is that the mark of spiritual maturity is always wanting more. More of God, more of God's presence, more of God's power. The mark of spiritual health is always wanting more of God. Are you fervently, earnestly, daily praying for that? Show me your glory. Help me experience your presence, God. My biggest sin may be my faint desire for the glory of God. My biggest sin may be my weak and faint desire for the glory of God. So to experience God's presence, we've got to want more than just church as usual. So here's your homework. I, I used to be a college professor, so I love assigning homework. That just makes professors happy. So I'm going to give you some homework. Here's your homework. It's July 1. For the rest of the month, every single day, pray, Jesus, show me your glory. Help me experience your presence. Pray that every single day, earnestly, fervently, for the month of July. Because to experience God, we've got to want it. The second thing this text tells us about to experience God is you gotta take off your ornaments. And so after God offers the Israelites the chance to go to the promised land without God, they say, no, 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 we want God. And then the text says, so the Israelites stripped off their ornaments at Mount Sinai. So their ornaments are their jewelry, the same thing, kind of thing they used to melt down to make that golden calf that they worshiped. So in other words, they strip off their idols. And an idol is anything that we depend on other than God to be happy. 
Maybe it's success at school or sports or work. Maybe it's money. Maybe it's being well-liked or being good-looking. And those are all really good things, but if we depend on them for our joy rather than God, they make us worried, grumpy, demanding because we're trying to get those idols or we're afraid that we're going to lose them. A friend of mine, uh, Pastor John Ortberg, recently told a story about pulling out of a parking spot and he heard this scraping sound and he knew that meant that he had scraped the car next to him. So he got out and he was looking at the scrape and he said it was, it was just this tiny little scratch, hardly visible at all, right? He said it was almost ornamental. But it wasn't just any old car, it was an Italian car. <laughs> Rhymes with Terrari, right? So he left a note. The next day, the guy called and said, thank you for the note. I appreciate it, but I just got to let you know that car is my baby. And I just got to have that thing in mid condition. So I got to fix it. So John said, okay, I get it. That's fine. Well, the next day, the guy called again and said, okay, the repair shop says they can't bust the scratch out. So they're going to have to order a new panel. And John said, okay, all right. The next day, the guy, guy called again, and this is a true story, and he said, you know, they're not going to be able to do that. They're going to have to get a whole new door. So they're going to have to have it custom made in Italy and then shipped here. And then John was like, oh, man, all right, all right, I get it, right? A few days later, the guy called again and said, look, this whole thing is bugging me. I can't handle it. So I've decided I'm just going to get a brand new car. You don't owe me anything. And John said, thanks. But if you're not using the old car. <laughs> now that may sound kind of ridiculous, right? But I think we all can get equally obsessed about our idols as that man was about his car. I know I can. Our idols can so consume us that they crowd out space for God. We're way too busy trying to be well-liked or successful or have the perfect body that we're not focused on God. We're not even listening for his presence, right? Or we think that if he doesn't give us the idol that we want, that he doesn't care about us. And all of that crowds out God. Well, think of it this way. God is always speaking. God is always speaking. But if I were to go out, if we were to go out here, let's say in front of Bellevue Square, right? There are probably birds chirping. But we can't hear it because of the traffic and all the people and all of that. I think the noise of our lives, the, the, the busyness of our lives, it's like all that noise just drowns out God. And we're going after our idols, success, whatever it is, right? Where do you spend your money and your time, and what do you worry about? That's your idol. Where do you spend your money and time, and what do you worry about? That's your idol. For me, my job can sometimes be an idol. I love my job, and it's a good job. But sometimes it kind of becomes the source of my identity. And so then when things aren't going very well, I freak out because there goes my identity. Another idol I have is I want folks to like me. I really want people to like me. I really want you to like me, right? Like I want everyone to like me. I know that's an idol because I worry about it too much. So God has to pry my hands off those idols because God won't give us the thing he has for us until we let go of the thing that we're hanging on to. Now my job, my reputation, money, all of that is good stuff. Job, money, all of that is good stuff. It's not bad stuff. It's good stuff. But if we make them ultimate things, and, and if, if we can't be content without them, they become an idol. And it will crowd out God because we'll be so busy trying to get those things, there'll be no room for God, there'll be too much noise. To experience God, we've got to strip off our idols. Third, to experience God, you've got to set up a tent of meeting. The text says, now Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp, calling it the tent of meeting. 
Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting. In other words, Moses set aside a time and a place to encounter God. Sometimes folks in my church, I don't know about here, but sometimes folks in my church will say to me, yeah, I don't get anything out of praying, so I don't pray. Okay, if you don't get anything out of not praying, you're really not going to get anything out of not praying, right? I said that wrong. If you don't get anything out of praying, you're not really going to get nothing out of not praying. Right? We've got to set up a time. We've got to set up a place. We've got to be there to meet with God. Moses says, I'm going to go try to meet with God. I may have to wait a day. I may have to wait weeks. I may have to wait months. But I will wait because I know eventually God will show up. And he always does. So set, set up a tent of meeting. Even just a little bit of time daily to pray and read a little bit of the Bible. And ask God to speak and have honest conversation with God. Right? Not, not fakey prayers, honest prayers. One of the things I love about Moses is when he got mad at God, he let God know it. When he was sad, he let God know it. Be honest about your sins and your failures. Say, God, here is the raw, unvarnished truth about me. If you're mad at God, say, I'm mad at you, God. If you're worried, tell him. I often refer to prayer as worrying in God's presence. I just sit there and I worry and I worry and I worry. Worry is my spiritual gift. I do it really well. So I just worry and worry and worry. And every once in a while I'll say, are you getting this, Lord? Are you getting this down? Because you know what? Ultimately, this is your problem. If you can worry, you can pray. Some of you are like, got it. Done. Right? And sometimes when I do that, I experience God's presence and it kind of makes the burdens lighter because I know he's carrying it. Now, that doesn't happen always. It doesn't happen all the time, every day, even every week, but sometimes. To experience God, you've got to want it, strip off your idols, set up a tent of meeting, and then finally, to experience God, you've got to listen. Because he's always talking, it's just there's a lot of noise. Right? And there are a lot of ways to listen. I'm going to spend some time on this last point. A lot of ways to listen. For me, it starts with paying attention to those thoughts that maybe aren't my thoughts. For me, they move more quickly than my thoughts, and they're not the kind of thought I usually think. That may be from God. Now, you've got to check that against Scripture to make sure it is from God, but I think God sometimes speaks to us in our thoughts. Other people can be God's voice to us. You know, the, the questions they ask, the advice or the input they give. But sometimes I believe God gives us a word for someone else. And I think part of being community is we are praying for those we know. God, do you have a word that you want me to give to Jeff? Do you have a word that you want me to give to Sue, right? I think that's part of what it means to be a community. About a month ago, I was in the gym and I was on the elliptical machine. And I was praying over some really harsh criticism uh, that I had received about my leadership and about the direction of the church. And I always pray every bit of criticism I get, I always pray over it. And I always ask God, is there something in this that I need to learn? And almost always the answer is yes. But this particular criticism, I wasn't feeling that just, it was harsh and it just kind of made me feel bad about myself. And so I was praying and I said, God, am, am I doing what you want here? Like, am I taking this church where you want it to go? Right then, this guy walks up to me and he says, Hey, buddy, um, this is going to sound kind of weird, but I think God wants me to tell you that you're a good man, you're on the right path, don't grow weary. And then he said, I don't know, does that mean anything to you? <laughs> yeah. Actually, good timing. It means a lot to me. Right? God speaks through others. Then there's the Bible. The primary way God speaks to us is through the Bible. Read a little bit at a time and ask two questions. There are two questions that, that you can ask of any passage that will yield you results. What does this passage tell me about God? And what does this passage tell me about me? 
Even the begats, even the genealogies, you know, so-and-so begats so-and-so, even the begats, what is that? That tells me that God knows each person by name, and that tells me I am known by name by my creator. I am valued. Even the genealogies can speak to us, every part of scripture. Read it, and then pay attention to those thoughts that maybe aren't your thoughts. And then listen for God's voice and learn to distinguish it because God's voice is different than the culture's voice. God's voice is different than our peers' voice or our parents'. God's voice is certainly different than the devil's voice. God's voice makes you brave. The devil's voice makes you afraid. God's voice energizes. The devil numbs you. God's voice leads. The devil pushes. God's voice encourages. The devil's voice discourages. God's voice calms. The devil's voice obsesses. You see, you are listening to someone every single day. You are listening to someone every single day. Who is it? Is it the culture? Is it your peers? Is it Oprah? We're all listening to someone every single day. Who is it? God or something else? Learn to recognize God's voice. Another way that God speaks is in worship. What we're doing here, maybe it's a line in a song or something in the sermon or in the scripture. Or maybe it's sometimes something that we feel. God also speaks through our feelings. Now, again, you've got to check those against scripture to make sure they're lining up with the Bible. But God, you know, God gave us a brain and he gave us a heart. He expected us to use both. But often we emphasize one more than the other, head or heart. Right? Now, I don't, I don't know about y'all here, but my tribe, Presbyterians, we are known as the frozen chosen. <laughs> right? Like we, we had an emotion once, but we didn't like it. So we just stopped that, you know, just cut that out of our lives, right? No more, no more feeling, right? We are all brain in my church, right? And I think the East Side in general is a little more cerebral than kind of feeling, right? But there, and there's nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with a loving God with our mind. Absolutely important. But the other way we experience God is through our feelings and we need both. That, that's why music was such a big part of worship in the Bible and, and still is today because music opens us up emotionally. So I always say to my Presbyterian engineer and software coder filled church, in order to feel God's presence, you're going to have to, well, feel something, which for some of us is scary. I, it's scary for me. I don't like to be out of control. I want to be in control. Right? We don't want to get too emotional. We don't want to be seen as Jesus freaks. Now, I'm not saying that we have to be emotionally incontinent and just kind of leak feelings everywhere, right? But to, but to feel God's presence, you know, it, we're going to have to be a little open to feelings. I mean, we have to engage in worship. Listen to the songs. Let the music move you. Since what we do with our bodies affects how we feel, I sometimes find it helpful to raise my hands. Right? Because that's what I do when the Seahawks score a touchdown. Right? I raise my hands and I cheer. So if you can shout and raise your hands because an athlete moved a ball across a white line, then perhaps for the God who died on the cross for you, you could do one of these once in a while like that. <laughs> T-Rex for Jesus kind of thing, right? Now you don't have to. Lots of people experience God without any outward display, but don't be afraid to do it either. One of the times I experienced God's presence in power I was, was when I was in a worship service at a pastor's conference. And I kind of just suddenly felt Jesus right there, and I felt all these emotions welling up, which, you know, I don't like that, so I tried to just try to shut it down. I don't want to be out of control, right? Kind of shutting it down. But finally I said, you know what, Jesus, I came here to encounter you. I will take you on your terms. 
And this has only happened once in my life, but I felt God's presence on me, and it was heavy. It was this feeling of heaviness. And I ended up on the floor weeping. I'm Presbyterian. <laughs> we do not do this, right? It's way outside of my comfort zone. But one of the things I heard God say in one of those thoughts that wasn't my thought, he said, Scott, sometimes I have to offend your mind to get to your heart. Stop trying to contain me. So listen for God. He's always speaking. Right? Always, always speaking. Listen for God's voice in Scripture. Our thoughts, our feelings, worship, but also just in ordinary life. This passage says that when Moses met with God, a pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance of the tent. Well, that's pretty dramatic. And you might think, well, yeah, if a pillar of cloud showed up, I'd, I'd experience God's presence. But here's the interesting thing about this passage. That pillar of cloud is extraordinary, but it happens in the tent of meeting, a raggedy old tent. That's as ordinary as it gets. God's presence is always the extraordinary, showing up in the ordinary. And if we just pay attention, if we're just looking for it, we experience him more. So part two of your homework. Part one, every day pray, Lord, help me experience your presence. Part two, expect God to show up, even in the ordinary. Because if you're not expecting it, you might miss it when it happens. Right? If we're not looking for it, we may miss it. In the story we read, there's this odd moment where Moses asks to see God's glory, and God says, I will put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I've passed by. Then I will remove my hand, and you will see my back, but my face must not be seen. Right? Like, so what does that mean? I, I have actually no idea what that means, and, and neither really does anyone else. But there's lots of theories. And I think the best theory is that this is before Jesus died to pay the penalty for our sins. So our sins haven't been dealt with yet. So we cannot see God's face because it's too holy for us. It'd wipe us out. But what interests me in that passage is that it says God hides Moses in the cleft of a rock. So it's the rock that bore the full weight of God's holiness. And the Bible says that Jesus is the stone that the builders rejected, the rock which became the chief cornerstone of our salvation. That is, Jesus is the rock that bore the full weight of God's holiness and his indignation at sin because of the damage and pain sin causes. Jesus is our rock who bore that. And so now we can see God's face in Jesus because in Jesus, the extraordinary God shows up in ordinary flesh. That's what Jesus is all about. A while back, I went over to the University of Washington in Seattle to meet up with my oldest daughter, who's a freshman there. And we were walking back to a sorority on 17th Avenue in the U District, if you know it. And, and it's where all the fraternity and sorority houses are. And there was this little brief lull in the conversation. And then this, this, I had all this stuff happen in my brain in like three seconds, right? And suddenly, I remembered myself as a freshman in that same university. And back then, I was so painfully shy that I could not bear to live in a dorm. So I lived by myself in a, an apartment on University Avenue. And for most of that year, I had severe panic attacks. I'm talking chest pains, heart racing, vomiting, dizzy, sweaty panic attacks four or five days every week. I had to call the paramedics more times than I can possibly count. And every day I would walk up that same street that my daughter now lives on to class, miserable from the panic attack, freaking out, past the Sigma Nu house, past the betas who always threw things at people, right? But now 35 years later, I was walking my daughter down that same exact street. And I thought, if you could do one of those Google Street View things, you know, like how on, on Google Maps, 
right? You can do this street view thing and it has this history button that you can click on and see what that street looked like in, in, the, in years past, right? Not that I look at that when I have writer's block trying to write a sermon and I'm procrastinating. That's not how I know about this, I just know, okay? And I thought, what if you could superimpose the two pictures, then, me then, and me now? Same street, same houses, babies probably still throwing things at people. Right, the street was the same, but how much had changed for me? And if some strange tear in the space-time continuum had allowed the me of 35 years ago to see me walking my daughter on that same street back to her sorority, 19-year-old me would have looked at current me and thought, how did I get from panic attack there? How did I get from, pan how did I get from panic attack here to that look so much better there? How did I get there? And why don't I have any hair? That's disturbing. I would have thought that. And I realized in that moment that I got from there to here because God has always been with me, whether I knew it or not. And sometimes I didn't see it. Sometimes I didn't think he was doing anything. But he was still there guiding in the bad times, in the good times, guiding me from panic attack there to oh so much better here. And I felt that God had just spoken to me. And I felt his presence. And his presence gave me courage and energy and hope to fight the battles that I have to fight now. Because God is always with me, and he's never failed me, and he's never going to let me down. And he who is in me is greater than he who is in the world. Amen. And for me, it was this moment of a pillar of cloud descending on an ordinary street in Seattle, in an ordinary moment of an ordinary day, doing an ordinary thing like walking my daughter back to her sorority. And when you realize the God of all creation, there are, more, there are more galaxies in the universe than there are grains of sand in the earth. When you realize that God who made all of that just talked to you, that's a rush. Right? In the passage that we read, it says that the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. And in every culture, outstretched arms signifies friendship because it makes you vulnerable. The other person could hug you or punch you in the gut. And in Jesus, God comes to us with arms stretched out on a cross, made vulnerable in a gesture of friendship, reaching out to you and me, and he's saying to us, I am here. I am talking to you every day. If you will just pay attention, you will experience me more. Jesus says, I am here with outstretched arms to encourage you and to make you brave by showing you my glory. I spun the Milky Way. I ignited a trillion suns. I spoke galaxies into existence. I crushed Pharaoh's army, split the Red Sea in two, chopped down Goliath, healed the lame man. I rose from the dead. Mine is the name above every other name. I am the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Lord of hosts, the great I am, almighty God, everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. I am your shield, your defender, the Ancient of Days. I am the rock of your salvation. I am your fortress in the storm. I am Alpha, Omega, beginning and end. I am Savior, Messiah, Redeemer, and I am your friend. And I am here, and I am with you. I make all things new. So come to him. He's all you need. So Jesus, thank you that you are here right now. And as we turn to worship and communion, God, meet us. And Lord, throughout this week, meet us. Help us to get rid of enough noise and hurry in our lives that we can hear you speaking. And Lord, 
Help us to connect with you. Jesus, thank you that you are the God who talks. Thank you that you are the God who is real. Thank you that you are the God who is here, that you are the God who is with us, and we are never alone because of you. And Jesus, we need your help to experience that. So by the power of your Holy Spirit this week, Lord, show us your glory. In your name, amen.